It's Friday on Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Glad to be back. Final show of the week. Hope everyone's having a great one out there. Be a little bit of a limited schedule next week. Thanksgiving coming up. Going to take a couple days off, I think. Um, Probably just one day without shows, though. Probably be a Thursday show, a Thanksgiving show to get you through the weekend, get you through all the turkey, things like that. But uh, nothing nothing planned for Friday next week, and then we'll get back at it. Full schedule. Full steam ahead the week after that. Um, Good one today, though, to get you through the weekend. Sarah McClellan from the Star Tribune joins me here in just a little bit to talk about the Wild. They are in Sweden right now. Some of you might say good riddance. Now, that's a little harsh, but a tough start to the season for them. Maybe a good time to reset, go somewhere else, try to find their game. Maybe their game's in Sweden. I don't know. Might be. They've got a lot of guys from Sweden, five players from Sweden on the trip, including goalie Jesper Wallstead, um, but also, you know, Joel Eriksson, um, Jonas Brodeen, um, Marcus Johansson, and Philip Gustafsson. So a lot of Swedes on the team kind of taking it all in. Sarah will kind of set the scene. She is there already. Talk to her from Sweden. And, you know, kind of a two-part mission here. A, they're you know, doing some sightseeing, trying to capture the the spirit the flavor of being over there on kind of a special trip but also you know two big games saturday against ottawa sunday against toronto the wild need to get out of this early funk the defense hasn't been good krill kaprizov hasn't been very good um whatever's wrong with them they're hoping to find out in sweden and maybe bring some of that good stuff back to minnesota when they're all done so we'll see if they can do that sarah and i will talk more about that here in just a little bit some interesting um, interesting news from Premier League Soccer that I want to tie to Big Ten football. That'll be real easy, right? Um, I'm going to try to do that at the end of the show, as well as a Vikings nugget um, that came out of Thursday night's game between the Ravens and Bengals that I will try to dissect a little bit and figure out if it's going to impact the Vikings. First, though, what I miss, listen, I wasn't there i wasn't watching for the good parts of the gopher basketball team's game against missouri on uh, on thursday night so I was, I was paying attention on social media you know we got the kids going stuff like that it's it's almost bedtime i'm saying hey gophers up big i should kind of i should check i should check this out they're up 20 at one point in the second half against missouri um i don't think missouri is a great team but they're a good team they were a tournament team a year ago they you know they've got some talent and it's the only the only real like power five team on the gophers non-conference schedule so it was an opportunity for them to maybe showcase that this year's a little different that they've got some things going this year in year three under ben johnson and you know for 30 minutes it was rolling like i said they were up 20 in the second half everything going right for the gophers so i'm like i gotta check this out so by the time i turn it on I'm just witnessing the collapse. I'm witnessing bad possessions, turnovers, ill-timed um, mental mistakes, not getting the ball over in the for a, a crucial 10-second violation. You know, with with unforced 10-second violation late in the second half, fouling a three-point shooter, not getting who you want to take the shots you want, or if they were the who you want to take the shots, was that advisable it all added up to losing that lead in the final you know 12 minutes missouri takes its first lead of the game with nine seconds left beats the gophers 70 to 68 
All we're talking about now is the collapse instead of the good things that happened in the first 30 or so minutes of that game. That's And that's too bad because I think when you go back, and I'm sure they will, when they go back and dissect this game, they will find plenty of things to like, right? Not in the aftermath, but Dawson Garcia was quite good. A really strong first half from new point guard Elijah Hawkins, who struggled late and found himself on the bench, actually, in uh, closing moments of this game. For Payne had some big moments. Like, there was a lot of good things that they did. Braden Carrington had, like, had 13 rebounds. They've definitely got more talent, more opportunity, the ability to beat at least middle-of-the-pack to slightly above middle-of-the-pack Big Ten teams this year on the right night, and certainly try to get themselves out of that last place position in the Big Ten. But you've got to be able to finish games, and they're obviously not there yet, or at least they weren't on Thursday. Maybe the biggest kind of, I don't know, head-scratching decision late, Marcus Fuller talked about that in his game story in uh, in Friday's Star Tribune and on StarTribune.com. Cam Christie, they're very good. Uh, four-star recruit, guard, um, hadn't scored a basket all game. He's He was kind of a non-factor in this game. He might very well go on to have a very good Gophers career. He, he'll, he'll certainly have better games than the one that he had on Thursday where he did not score a single field goal. He takes the final two shots for the Gophers, misses them both, not saying he won't make them sometime in the future, but is that really the decision to make in a game where it's crunch time, where it's a game where everything is slipping away. Ben Johnson asked about that afterwards, kind of the last two possessions of the game. Here was Ben Johnson, Gophers head coach, on that decision. We just like the mismatch. He had the five on him. Um, and that's probably on me. I, sh- I should have been telling him not to settle and to drive it, you know, when you're in the bonus. But I like that advantage when he's at him on, you know, just we got to get him to go downhill. But that's, you got to learn from that. And then the, the second one, there was a couple options out of that. Again, give them credit. Like, it's when they switch everything, especially those last 10 minutes, they really cranked it up. And when they start switching and denying and doing all that stuff, um, you know, it's hard to run off it. It's hard to get the ball reversed. And um, and that's when we got to look at the film and figure out how, how we can get better, how I can get these guys in better spots. Listen, you can like a matchup all you want. You can think that someone has the physical tools to exploit something. If, if a true freshman hasn't made a shot all night, that's not who I want taking the closing shots in a game like that. I want somebody else trying to get that game to overtime, and then maybe Cam Christie has a moment in overtime. Maybe then there's an opportunity to do something else in overtime. Cam Christie certainly had the courage, certainly had the confidence to take those shots, which is good, but he didn't make them. And it, it's, you know, it's it's because, you know, he's, he's maybe not ready for that moment yet, not quite ready to be that hero in that moment, being asked to do a lot in the game where everything is falling apart. So I question that Question some of the offensive flow as the game was getting out of hand. Is there nothing you can do to get a basket? They didn't score a field goal in the last 6.03 of this game. That is not acceptable. Um, by the way, 6.04 was the number to beat. That was the number of yards the Gophers gave up in the football game to Purdue uh, six days ago. But 6.03, that was how long they went without a field goal in this game. So, just a tough one. I mean, you know, it's non-conference. Maybe they, maybe this is a learning opportunity ultimately, but just disappointing because it felt, it felt different. You know, kind of watching back some of the replays, some of the highlights that I didn't see live, felt different in those first thirty minutes. But those last ten, those felt all too familiar. And how do you kind of go 
how do you get how do you get to where you want to go from there? How do you turn this into a teachable moment? That will be Ben Johnson's mission right now. Probably an easier teachable moment in this case than if you would kind of narrowly escape, but you still have to find a way to get a game like that to the finish line. They just didn't do that on Thursday. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion. The hope. The anticipation. That incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino. Let your story begin. It's an international episode of Daily Delivery because Sarah McClellan joins me from Sweden, wild hockey writer. She is there to cover Saturday morning for us, uh, Sarah, not for you, Saturday and Sunday games against Ottawa and Toronto, the NHL over in Sweden and the wild. Heavy participants, a lot of Swedes on the team, kind of a, a fun fun uh, opportunity for them, Sarah, and for you, I would imagine, too. Yeah, for sure. I think for them, it's 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 an opportunity to show where they're from, show more of what Sweden, their home country is like, and really a chance to play in front of friends and family that, you know, may not always be able to go overseas and watch them play in Minnesota or somewhere else in North America. Uh, I know for, for Joel Erickson Eck, he gets to play in front of his grandparents for the first time since he last played in Sweden. So I think it's like moments like that, memories like that, that um, these the, the the players on the wild from Sweden really get an opportunity to embrace. And, you know, yeah, I think kind of maybe show off some of their country. No one is from Stockholm, obviously, where the games are being held. Um, it's the capital city in Sweden. Um, but they're they're familiar with it, obviously. I know for for Jonas Brodin, it's a place that he will spend time in during his off seasons. Um, so I think he's kind of been a, a big help and an asset for the team and kind of planning what this trip looks like, where to go, sure. um, where to eat. Uh, yeah, kind of like the, the tour guide, so to speak. So, yeah, I think especially with how the season been going, maybe it can feel kind of jarring to to hit the pause button in a sense and go overseas and um, kind of maybe do some of the fun aspects of a trip like this, um, the promotion involved as well, and and that type of media aspect. But two, maybe it's something that can um, spark them and kind of maybe break up some of you know the the monotony of what the season had kind of been come lately with the funk and losing three games in a row. So we'll see come the weekend. But I think there's that mix, right? Have some fun, but yeah. also this very much is is important. Uh, four points up for grabs for the Wild. Yeah, we'll get into some of their struggles and kind of attempts to get out of that here in a little bit. But you know, just kind of sticking with the the scene. I'm not sure how much you've seen there. Just kind of like what you know, what the NHL is hoping to kind of get out of this. We've seen a lot of leagues do this. Obviously, this is not brand new. But like just going to a different place and playing NHL games, NBA games, whatever it might be. What do you what do you imagine the NHL hopes comes of games like this? Well, Stockholm has hosted quite a few games before. So this yeah. is kind of like a, a familiar outpost for the NHL. And you can see why in terms of, you know, walking around the city, seeing the signage, but seeing fans and, you know, seeing fans come from Minnesota or even, you know, other parts of Sweden or other parts of Europe. Um, you know, I talked to fans today about that who have made this trip and yeah, quite a few in wild gear and from Minnesota here to cheer on, cheer on the wild. But 
I mean, it's an opportunity really for for people in Europe, not just Sweden, but Europe, um, you know, to see hockey at this you know best level in the world in person and up close. And, you know, I think that's really such a unique experience. I was talking to one father today who was with his son at the NHL um, fan festival that they have in Stockholm and they live in Sweden. And, you know, he mentioned how his son will watch Connor Bedard highlights and check out the goals, but, you know, it's a, such a different experience to see the speed he said in person, and they were going to sit four rows behind the glass at the game. Uh, in one of the Red Wings games here. So uh, it's just a chance that play, you know, people don't always get, and it really seems to be embraced here, so many people walking around in gear um, and not just around like the NHL festivities around the Royal Palace and the, you know, the old part of town. Um, it kind of seems no matter where you go in Stockholm right now, you see, you know, the NHL and hockey and the wild <laughs> represented. Yeah. And that's cool because I think, you know, like the fact that these are regular season games, not like preseason exhibitions or Things like that, like, you know, like the Wolves took a trip to, to Abu Dhabi earlier this year, but that was preseason. We've had like, you know, Premier League teams come and do like these tours of the U.S. and give people a chance to see like high level, higher level soccer. But those are typically like friendlies, things like that. Like this is like these teams are going to be going 100 percent full board. They're going to see fans. They're going to see the real the, the best of the best, the, the product that they want to put out there right now. Totally. And, and again, to do it in Sweden, where. Um, you know, I, I'm going to have a story coming later this week about this, but this is such um, a country that is developing so many players, you know, to the NHL. You see the players getting drafted out of here um, at such large numbers in today's NHL. I mean, look at just last year's draft. Um, last summer's draft, Leo Carlson went second overall. He's already making quite a statement in the NHL as a rookie with Anaheim. And, and earlier this week, Henrik Lundqvist getting inducted into the Hall of Fame. So, I mean, there's just so many examples of, you know, how players are going from Sweden, the grassroots level here, to the NHL, to the best league in the world, which is all the way across the world. Yeah. You know, totally different. Um, but this country obviously has had a very, very big knack for developing talent. Um, cultivating a very specific style that seems to be unique to Swedish hockey, but still a style and an impact that is translating to the NHL. And you can see on the wild, um, the four players that they have from here on the team are in big roles. Jesper Wallstedt is, is the other player here as, as the third goaltender. He's obviously been drafted very high by the team to be a goalie that can take over in the future as well. So players with a lot of potential for sure. Yeah, I was going to say, like they've got five Five players from Sweden over there, right? So we got Ericsson Ek, Brodeen. I'm just trying to like counting off the top of my head here. Who who are the Marcus Marcus Johansson? Johansson, of course, yeah. As well, Philip Gustafson and Net is alongside Wallstead as well. So yeah, they're they're well represented too. And like I said, you can tell, you know, the opportunity to to show their home country, probably speak more Swedish at least two in the media interviews right um so a very cool opportunity and something that the, that hasn't happened for the wild in general in years right. um you'll remember they went to finland um you know more than 10 years ago so it is something that happens in the nhl it's something that happens frequently for them to go play in sweden obviously but um still a unique you know kind of rare experience for the wild and even though it comes during a stretch where 
you know, the team's had some struggles. I, I think they're still very mindful of the opportunity and the experience overall. Okay, so let's talk about those struggles because it's been a, it's been a struggle. They've given up among the most goals in the league right now. Scoring hasn't so much been a problem, and I think Dean Evison keeps pointing that out. But keeping it out of their own net, they've tried to address that already with two trades, one uh, two trades in the same day, trying to kind of shake up the defense. You know, Kalen Addison out, a guy who maybe provided a little bit more offensive minded defensive play, especially on the power play. You know, kind of. Closing ranks a little bit, but it hasn't seemed to help too much, at least so far. Like, where where do they kind of take this from here as they kind of try to reestablish the style and identity they had last season, which was kind of that tight checking, you know, we're going to win 3-2, 4-2, not try to win 6-5? Yeah, they haven't really gotten to that style of play yet this season. I think you've seen maybe flashes or little bursts of who they want to be. Um but not consistently. And it's obviously spilled over into the results. I think that obviously speaks for itself. Like I said, a three-game losing streak now. It's still mostly the same personnel from last season. So right. I think that's part of the confusion is why, you know, why isn't this team essentially picking up where it left off in the regular season in terms of really having established that defense first mentality? If you remember, the beginning of last season didn't start out smoothly either for that team. That team gave up quite a few goals in that first maybe week week and a half two weeks of the season and then did a you know a complete turnaround and then it really was that three two two one type style and they became very opportunistic offensively but they were known for their defense and how clean they were in their own end and a lot of that was goaltending obviously um so maybe that's part of it this season just seeing if, if whether it's Gustafson or Marc-Andre Fleury really kind of settling in and taking over but I think obviously, you know, a lot too boils down to special teams, and that's not a new problem for this team. No. Um, PK woes have been there for, you know, a little while now, and it just still hasn't been, you know, corrected to the extent um, that it, you know, isn't hamstringing this team on a seemingly nightly basis, right? Obviously, going back to the playoffs last season, special teams really played a big factor in that series against Dallas. Um, that power play just completely outperformed the Wilds power play. And you really kind of saw all of that, you know, captured again in the rematch on Sunday in that 8-3 loss. Dallas scored five power play yes. goals, which is the most given up by the Wild in franchise history. So I think probably at top of mind right now is fixing that. I think that's the tone with the practices this week is really improving special teams. There was talk of them making a schematic change, um, but obviously personnel at this point is personnel they did make a change obviously bringing in Zach Bogosian he's a veteran more of that gritty defending style that they're obviously trying to get back to that they've been known for so maybe a little more time for him to settle in Jared Spurgeon's only played a couple games since his return from injury he played all season he's key to that blue line obviously and, and being its leader being the type of style that they need to play so maybe we'll see in the next week or two if they can really settle in and clean it up. Um, but I think right now that's what's flashing a neon lights as this team's issue is is the defending and particularly the penalty kill right now. And it's got to be frustrating for them because it's not like like you said it's not like they haven't tried to fix these teams and the, fix these things in the past. It's not like they haven't identified the problem. So it it does kind of speak to is it you know is it 
similar personnel not getting the same results in terms of are they just getting older? Is the is some of this kind of uh, are the concepts wearing thin? Is it just the goaltending hasn't been great? I was it was definitely better. It was definitely better last year, and I think they've got to figure that out. Like how much how much of it is the guys in front of them, and how much it is the guys in the net has got to be a question that they're asking themselves right now. I would think. The consistency, I think, was more apparent last season with what they were getting in net. And I think with the PK, in terms of the structure in front, a lot of these goals, you know, they're pucks going in that the Wild are in position to contest for. It's not like, you know, they're completely out of position. It really is, you know, players getting a stick on puck around the Wild, next to the Wild, by the Wild. Um, So I think then, you know, they seem to be, in the right place but it's just you know whether it is a puck luck bounce or whether it's just you know that competitiveness or that edginess to just push and battle and clear those pucks I mean I know you know everything's that going so fast it's such a quick game but it really that's what's really noticeable lately it's those shots in tight it's rebounds it's it's that traffic really in front of the net that they're having a tough time navigating so I'll, I think I'll be really interested to see this weekend, especially with these games in Stockholm, how they've adjusted. If it is more of their setup, their box out, how they want to defend these shots, or is it a change in just how they defend in terms of the battle and how engaged they are? And if that's something that really can, you know, be the spark, be the turning point, um, because I think right now, it looks too like it can snowball, right? Like one goal yeah. again can lead to two and three, and those mistakes can just pile up. And as you can see, I mean, it can really alter games like we saw on Sunday. I do have a notion, and I, I'm, we're not there yet where this with this season, but I do have a notion that they maybe overachieved a little bit last year and kind of that first year of, of, of the buyouts hitting hard and that and maybe this year is a little bit of that kind of progression regression whatever you want to think of it to kind of where they are so if if this like if this continues and you've still got another year of these buyouts and this kind of is who they are and i don't think bill Guerin would want to admit that or say that but like do they have do you do you imagine there's kind of like a a plan b or a pivot where they say ah you know maybe we gotta you know rethink this or you know pivot to youth or things like that they're not there yet obviously but like i'm just kind of thinking of like scenarios where like wow, what if they get 40, 50 games into the season and it still kind of looks like this? I, I feel like they've really been clear in that, you know, this is what it is for these two seasons. They're not going to use it as an excuse. It's just their reality. But I think, obviously, it's very clear what awaits them at the end of this, you know, two-year window and the flexibility that they will have. So I think there's still that thought that, okay, what is this team in, in two years when the buyouts, um, you know, aren't eating so much of their budget? But in the meantime, I think that's kind of a fascinating crossroads that they're at in terms of, you know, it, it's a question I posed recently to Dean Evison. Like, when is it an issue? Yeah. And when is it an identity? When is this a, a fixable problem, something they correct? Or when is this who you are? It's yeah. a, a identity. I think they're kind of at that juncture of, you know, it's, you know, a month plus into the season, you know, there's games that are adding up. Teams are starting to separate. You can kind of really see right now who's setting the tone in the Western Conference, who looks like, you know, they are the teams that are, you know, not running away, but like they're going to be tough. They're going to be the challengers, the contenders. And where does the Wild fit into that? And so, 
you know, I think it'd be a different vibe if it was, okay, the offense is streaky for a week or the defense has one bad, you know, performance and then resets. But it's been the same kind of consistent issues so far. And they've been made aware of it. You know, we haven't even talked about how poorly their starts have been. Um, They've been sunk in these first periods and they've been chasing games. And part of that is then, you know, taking the penalties and getting on the PK and teams are capitalizing. But it really is kind of the same factors that we've seen at play. Poor starts, leaky defending, and very shaky special teams, particularly the PK. And, you know, they haven't been able to consistently improve in any of those areas. And so, it, yeah, I think that's a kind of a fair question to ask of, you know, is this a preview of what's to come? Can they rebound? Or is this what, you know, is maybe not the expectation, but it, maybe is this the potential or capability of this team as is with all the context that we know that will change in a few years. But is is this setting the tone for where the wild organization is at right now? Or, you know, can they rebound? I mean, we've seen it. A month is a month, you know, we'll see in another month. Um, But the fact that they've been consistent issues, um, you know, I think that's the most glaring takeaway right now. It's not one-offs. It's not a new problem every few days. It's, really, you know, the same struggles that they've had and should make it easy to correct, right? You, you would you think, know? yeah. Yes <laughs> and no. I mean, yes and no. If, if it's a consistent problem, it kind of sometimes means that it's just flat out a problem, but um, right. we'll see. Final thought for you. Um, I feel like anytime we've talked about Kirill Kaprizov on this show for the last two or three years, you and I, it's been, man, like, what's the ceiling? How much better can he get? Because he's awesome. He's He's rolling. Hasn't been rolling this year. The points are still okay, like a point per game roughly, but only one one non-power play goal in 15 games or whatever it is right now. Um, a lot of turnovers. I think he's a minus 11 right now. Like I don't know if they're internally asking what's wrong with Kaprizov. I know he got a maintenance day the other day. Maybe he's a little banged up, like Evison said, but like what... What do we? You, you're closer to it than I am, but I look at it from a distance like, eh, he just doesn't quite look like the same guy this year. He hasn't yet, I think, deployed that kind of statement performance individually where he's just kind of taken over a game and just led the Wild to victory. I think that's what I've noticed really clearly. They had that one game as a line with him, yep. and Max Zuccarell and Ryan Hartman in that victory against Edmonton where yep. they were terrific and, and they really turned that game around for the Wild. But him individually, I think in the last few seasons, there's been a couple examples where it just looks like he shifts into another gear and the wild run away for a win or just, or he's the difference maker in a close win by his individual performance. And I've noticed yeah, that that just hasn't happened this season. I wonder too, if it gets to the point where, you know, it's just not, not trying too hard, but the teams, you know, in this funk, you probably feel this pressure to lead it out. And if it's just, not there yet. And I wonder how much pressure that weighs, especially on a superstar, especially on someone who knows, you know, his stature within the team. Um, You know, uh, it it is interesting because I I feel like, you know, in the last few seasons, when you've talked about how successful this team is, he's been such a big part of that. Yeah. And so it makes you wonder if, you know, is he really the key to what drives this team? You would think so. He's a franchise player. He's a superstar. So how much of what's ailing the wild right now could be fixed if he all of a sudden, you know, whether it's clicking with 
you know, Matt Zuccarello again, developing that chemistry or on his own just takes off and has one of those kind of mind boggling performances. Could that be the jolt that this team needs? I it's, it's curious. It's interesting to see how hand in hand his performance and the team's performance go. And in the past, like you said, he's played well, the team's done well. And now you kind of see, you know, where they're at now and their respective performances. And you kind of, yeah, wonder if he can be the one who can turn it around and what it'll take for him to get that consistency back in his game. Well, and the turnovers have been a bit of a problem. And it's like, it's weird to say they need more from player X on offense. Because like we said, the, the goal scoring hasn't been the problem so much, but the turnovers that he's had and other guys have had have definitely led to transition scoring or you know penalties things like that like that's the piece of the game that's been surprising to me is his carelessness he doesn't seem to be as been as physical this year like i one thing i've noticed about his game before is like he will he will give you he'll he'll put a little hit in you or he will at least like be a physical presence like a heavy kind of forecheck or a heavy body on you i just haven't seen that as much this year and maybe it's just small sample size and we're used to being him being so good that when he's only good it 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 shows up yeah, that that pressing factor too, and I think that's probably what shows up in the turnovers and trying to make a stretch pass that's beautiful across ice and trying to dissect these defenses instead of the simple hockey. I think that's when the Wild has had success this season. It really has been back to basics, and a lot of that can be driven though by Kaprizov if he sticks to that kind of north south hockey instead of going east west and you know, trying to make the maybe the more difficult play. But again, I wonder if that's a sign of pressing to try to make that play, make that goal that we're so used to seeing him do to be the one that turns this around for the wild. But you're right. I think, like I said, I think they just go hand in hand. So maybe that's a good indicator if, if better, if, you know, better results are on the horizon for the wild, perhaps it does start with Kaprizov's performance individually. Well, we'll see if it happens in Sweden. Sarah will be there to cover it. She'll be Bundled up. Sounds like it's kind of chilly there, but uh, it's small price to pay for um, some really good, uh, good, exciting coverage and uh, two games Saturday and Sunday. Sarah McClellan, appreciate it as always. Take care. Take care. Bye bye. Good stuff from Sarah. Follow her coverage over in Sweden. It's a morning game, obviously, because of the time change. Saturday morning, 10 a.m. I don't think I've ever watched a hockey game at Saturday morning at 10 a.m., but that's when the Wild plays Ottawa. That should be fun. See if they can find something over there. See if they can get the defense going, the penalty kill going. See if they can get Kirill Kaprizov going, because that's been a concern of mine all season long. You just watch him. The body language looks different. The spark just isn't there. They need to light that, because as they go, as Kirill Kaprizov goes, so go the Wild, as Sarah said. It's absolutely true. He is their best player. When he's going on full cylinders, all you know, firing on all cylinders, they are a much different team. I know the defense has been bad. I know the penalty kill has been bad. But he is their emotional and goal-scoring leader. They need him more than he's given them this season. Well, let's finish with the cooler. A um, couple things that caught my eye. Everton from the English Premier League docked 10 points in the standings this season for like financial transgressions a couple years ago. I've never seen... A penalty like this, and maybe this is common in in, in uh, Premier League soccer, and I'm just not aware of it. But just docked ten points, they like drop from 14th in the standings to like the relegation zone. They're in the middle of the Premier League season. I've never seen 
something like this before. It's fascinating to me to see that be a penalty that they give a team just right in the middle of a year. There's still time for them to make it up. They're only 12 games into the season, but man, I've never seen a team just docked points in the standings in the middle of a season. Usually over here in the U.S., you see, you know, you know, Things vacated after the fact, or you know, things relitigated later. Draft picks taken away. They just just went and took ten points away from them. Three wins in a draw. They just went and took it right away from them. And maybe that's a good uh, maybe that's a good reminder that things um, can get harsh. Things can get different in different leagues. Stands in contrast to Michigan. Three. Uh, three-game suspension for Jim Harbaugh. He has accepted it, does noble of him, in exchange for the Big Ten dropping the rest of its investigation. Three-game suspension. He's already served one of them. I don't know. That's not enough of a penalty for me for how blatantly Michigan seems to have been cheating with all of these sideline, uh, sign-stealing things, things like that, videotaping other teams on the sidelines. Um, to me, maybe just take a game or two off of Michigan's schedule. See how they like that. Take a win or two away from them this year if you feel strongly enough about that. Don't, don't do like a, a bowl game vacancy, things like that. Just take it away from them right now. Go, go full Everton. Go full English Premier League on them. See how they like it. And... Um, another thing from uh, the the world of football: Bengals lost to the Ravens, thirty four twenty on um, on Thursday night. Joe Burrow leaves the game with what is being called a sprained wrist. Um, notable in that the Vikings and Bengals play exactly one month from now. We'll have to see what Burrow's injury status, injury designation is at that point, see how his wrist is. But if he is still banged up, not 100% or even fully out at that point, that becomes a far more winnable game for the Vikings a month from now. It's kind of funny how these things go, right? We kind of look at the schedule at a certain point. We determine what seems like easy versus hard games. You would have thought the Denver game was easy a month ago. Um, Now Denver is rolling. Denver's actually favored in that game on Sunday. Um, The Bengals game at the start of the year, you think, oh man, that's going to be a world of trouble. That's still going to be a hard game because the Bengals have a lot of good players, but they're not playing all that well this year. And if Joe Burrow is hurt, that is a team that is very gettable. So we will see where that is. A lot of things always in flux, and that one could be one of those games. That'll do it for me today. Hope you enjoyed today's show. Good stuff coming up next week. Until then, I'm Michael Rand, back at it again on Monday.